Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by the director of the Apple TV Plus movie, Luck, Peggy Holmes. And I actually was interested to, to start off with in, in when you first came on board as a director for this project, how you kind of started to first go through and break down the script in terms of conceptualizing the different visual aesthetics of it, because obviously you've got the human world, you've got the luck world, you know, there's such a myriad of characters. And so what was your initial starting point from a visual standpoint of directing this film? Yeah, yeah, that's such a great question. So when uh, in animation, or at least at Skydance Animation, the way we build story is we build it as we go and we all work together. So myself, Kiel Murray, the writer, my heads of story, Ray Shenesay and Lawrence Gong, along with Fred, Fred Warder, our production designer and the art team, we build the world as we build the story. So we don't sort of make the script and then build the world around it. We do it all together because the, the whole driving force is what does the story need? What does the story need? So in our case, you know, when I came onto this project, there were two things I was really drawn to. One was this idea that Sam grew up in the foster care system. And the other was there was a little leprechaun. So those two things were part of the project. So I took those two things and ran with it and created a new, uh, uh, created the story basically. And so I love this idea of Sam finding her forever family, you know, starting with someone who has no family. And, and I could say, oh my gosh, okay, can we build a story around her finding her forever family? And I have a big family. And so I was really excited about that idea. And then with the leprechaun, I was like, wait a minute, we could create a whole world that no one knew existed <laughs> all around this idea of luck and this leprechaun. So we basically did a lot of research. We have an amazing research department at Skydance and they, they, the development department had done research of lucky icons from all around the world, lucky symbols, lucky numbers, lucky colors. And we just took all of that uh, all of that research and the story team and the art team, I said, okay, take all of this and go for two days, just create whatever you want and try to find these amazing characters. So while they were doing that, Fred Warder, our production designer, also had taken all the research and he came back to me and the very first piece he did for the movie was two worlds sitting on opposite sides of a coin, good luck on top and bad luck on the bottom. And we're like, that's it. <laughs> That's the world. So that coupled with the artist came back a couple days later, they, they had drawn these incredible dragons and unicorns and Gen Z millennial mashup leprechauns. And, you know, so we just really started like that with just started with the research about luck and just let the artist go crazy. Right. And you're, you're talking there as well about some of the, the symbolism of luck that we see throughout the film in a lot of different visual ways and the research that went into that. And I've heard you mention that you, you kind of intentionally wanted it to be just specifically luck. So you took out anything that was superstition. You yes. didn't look at faith-based luck. What was the moment where you realized that that was really important to kind of streamline and, and that that was how you needed to think about luck in terms of both the visual language and the telling of the story? Yeah, that came from me. You know, I didn't know how obsessed humans are about luck until I sort of got on this project. And then you start reading the reading the the, the different books that are out there, the papers, there's college lectures all about luck. I mean, people are really obsessed with it. And I it became so clear to me that there was one really, really true fact about luck. And it's the idea that luck is random. 
right? Luck is totally random. You can't create it. You can't control it. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know if it'll be good or bad luck. So once once that kind of dawned on us, we put it on a big card, like luck is random. That is a rule of the world. So that's how you eliminate. It's not superstition. It's not religion. It's not spirituality. You literally cannot control it, right? So we just sort of said, okay, those are the rules of the world. We got to stick to it at every, at every, at every turn. You just have to stick to it, you know? And then it becomes relatable. Then us as humans, as we're watching the movie are like, that happened to me. Yeah. That seems like it makes sense. I totally get it. You know? And, and also then when it comes to developing all of the characters, you've got a lot of groupings. You're talking about, you know, we've got the leprechauns, we've got Bob and the rest of the cats, you've got Sam as a human, and they all have such distinctive personalities and and visuals on screen, even within these groups. Um, And so what, what did that process behind the scenes look like of going, okay, so we've got the cats, so we've got the leprechauns and what are the individual elements that we really want to bring to the foreground based on each of their personalities. So it doesn't just look like 10 of the same character if they're all on screen at the same time? Yeah, that's such a great question. Well, for us, it was just all about story and logic of the world again. So for us, we're thinking, okay, we do need some lucky creatures to go to the human world. So, oh, cats. Cats will be invisible in the human world, right? They won't be suspicious, right? You're not going to send 20 leprechauns to the human world, right? Leprechauns don't like to be seen. So, (laughs) So it's a matter of just sort of thinking through the logic of what we need for the story. The pigs, by the way, the pigs are the ones in the good luck world that make the luck like they their little lucky breath is, you know, mixed with a four leaf clover creates this lucky crystal. Well, the reason we made that decision is pigs are most universally known as lucky creatures. So in many, many, many countries and many different cultures, pigs are lucky. So we're like, okay, pigs have to be the superstars. So it was things like that, just all based on kind of the research and what we all know and recognize these characters as. And I also love the movement individually of each character as well. And and I know that you come from a a background of dance and choreography yourself as well. And so how did that inform the way that you were working with the design team, with the animation team to really think about the movement? Because it's not just about the way that they're moving in a scene. It's about the way that we're kind of flowing within that scene as well through all the spaces at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Part of that is just, I think, you know, I, I was a dancer, you know, since I was eight years old. And so I just naturally think in rhythms. <laughs> it's just how I sort of think as an artist is in rhythms and in movements and in relationship to each other and relationship to the camera, right? It's just sort of, I've had a long time, uh, doing that in my life. So I think I just naturally do that and prefer that. I definitely can't draw. I can't bring that to the table at all. I'm not an artist in that way, but I can bring sort of what about this shape or what about this shape or how about that movement? So it's really fun to collaborate with the story artists and the art team in that way. Um, So I think that I just naturally bring to it. And then, you know, the story artists are amazing, right? It all starts with our story artists who are basically putting up the story with us to look at over and over again until we land on, you know, yes, that's the moment. That looks amazing. The story artists create these incredible, funny, funny, magical moments that we never thought of, you know, that the story artists come to the table with these incredible things like, um, like Bob walking across the umbrellas. That was our story artist, Louis Del Carmen, right? And so you come into a meeting and Louis goes, I'm going to pitch the chase. And then he pitches this moment and you're just like, 
Oh, that's so amazing. We love that. And then once it gets to animation, I for sure had my eye on making sure that that literally every umbrella opened on a beat, right? So that it feels a little like a musical number. And then you have John Debney, our composer, going, thank you for putting that on rhythm. I can now make these amazing accents for that. So it's really just the team effort of having our eye on making sure that everything feels like it's flowing and easy, especially with the good luck characters, right? They don't ever have bad luck. So everything needs to go smoothly. And I love that idea of, of thinking in rhythm in so many different ways as well, because it also influences the pacing of scenes. You know, obviously when things start to go wrong in, in the luck world, you want the pacing to kind of like create that tension. So things are moving a little bit faster. There's moments where you want to have kind of intimacy and kind of slow it down a little bit when there's those connected moments between characters. And so how did you find the, the different individual pacings of, of different scenes in that way as well? And was that also very much just stemmed from, from that really intrinsic sense of rhythm that you have? Yeah, I think for me, it stems from rhythm. And, and I'm just saying that because other people have noticed that about me. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think about it, to be honest. It's just the rhythm that I particularly like for a particular scene. Um, our, our lead editor, Bill Caparello, was super patient in dealing with like, let's take out two frames. Let's add three. Let's add one more back, you know, until we feel like, ah, oh, that's the rhythm. You know, that's the rhythm that feels right emotionally emotionally. And I did a lot of choreography in my career. I did a lot of um, scenes in movies where maybe you wouldn't have known it was choreographed, but that we wanted that sense of rhythm. And we wanted that every move to sort of be choreographed so we could figure out where the camera would go. And I love that kind of choreography where it doesn't look choreographed, but it is definitely planned out to the words of the song or to the dialogue of the scene. And I love that kind of work. And also in terms of jumping over to character a little bit, I wanted to talk about the relationship that develops in that friendship between Sam and between Bob the cat, because they're kind of on these parallel journeys, even though they're going through different versions of it, you know, Sam has to kind of open herself up in one way and Bob has to kind of soften himself with the idea of letting people into his world. Um, and so how did you always make sure that there was kind of a linearity between the parallel journeys that they're going on alongside each other as we work towards the ending? Yeah, well, we love the fact that neither one of them has family, right? So we love the fact that neither one of them has family, but for very different reasons, as you point out, Sam, real life bad luck, right? She, she's alone in the world. Bob choosing to be alone in the world because he's a little bit self-centered. He thinks of himself. He, he idolized the idea of luck and just wanted to be that, you know? And so he doesn't want anyone to get close to him because obviously he's got a little bit of a secret. And we thought that goes really well with a cat, right? A cat kind of has a personality of kind of, Hey, I do my own thing, you know? And we just thought it was like a super beautiful story to have Bob sort of awaken to the idea of love. Sam understands clearly what love is. It's the thing she's missing in her life, really. And Bob never really thought about love, right? He's a magical creature. He lives in a different kind of world and he awakens to this idea of love. And, you know, so I think we just really thought, wow, if we just put these two together, you know, on a journey, it, it'll be a funny because <laughs> Simon is so funny and Bob is so about himself and just wants to get her out of there, you know, and we thought it could just be very touching to have him sort of awaken to love. We thought it would be a, a cool thing. And with a character like Bob as well, 
was there a lot of kind of research and, and studying cats, the way that they move and, and bringing a lot of that into it? And is there also a little bit of a freedom in animation and being able to have some suspension of disbelief and say, well, you know, he's a talking cat in the world of luck. So maybe he can move in this way, even if a cat wouldn't regularly, because he's also talking and doing all these other things. Yeah, we loved, loved having basically kind of what you're touching on is which a little bit of freedom, right? Because he was a talking cat, but we also made him a polydactyl cat, right? So that he could have those fingers and thumbs and that he could do a lot of stuff in the movie. So that was all intentional once we had done our research. Um, so, uh, but I, but I think also, you know, it was super fun to be able to kind of uh, have a character that in the beginning doesn't talk. So that was all about his eyes, his head tilt, his facial expression, you know, his physicality, and then let him unleash with all his fantastic, you know, Simon is so funny and let him unleash with all his like fantastic um, little quips and sarcasms and stuff like that, you know, so it was, it was really fun to be able to do both, you know, let him sometimes act like a cat and then sometimes act like a person really. <laughs> it was really really fun I also wanted to ask a bit about the recording sessions and working with the cast because obviously because of, of COVID you didn't have the opportunity to be in the room with them so it was all done yeah. remotely um, but in particular I was interested in in the aspect of Keel one of the writers on the script putting a lot of alts into scenes and so there would be three or four different directions that you could try in any given moment and so how did that really open up a lot of the creativity when you were in these sessions and working with the cast and the different things that you would try as a result of that? Yeah, it was great. And, and, and Kiel does that honestly, normally, like you'd have these alts and you'd all be in the recording studio together and you'd sit down and work on it, you know, and then you'd kind of choose which one. But as you said, because of COVID, you know, none of us were ever in the same room. And so I remember in our first recording session, Simon, who's super lovely, very polite, great actor, as you know, and a great writer. And so Simon was kind of like, I just do have one question. What's with all these alts? And Kiel's like, well, let's see what sounds the best and we can play around with it and this and that. Well, by the end of that session, Simon was like, okay, I love the alts. I'm in on the alts. I love them so, so, so much. And it just gave us a lot of freedom to really kind of create you know, have the intention of the scene that Kiel was intending, you know, and to try out different jokes, try out like what's going to feel funny, you know, and then also just what sounds best coming out of the character's mouth. You know, there's many ways you can say something. And then editorial is where we had to really work hard because we gave them a lot of material. So oftentimes we'd cut two or three versions of a joke and we'd see which one plays best. You know, it's fantastic that Kiel writes all those alts. We love it. And we use a lot of them. We use a lot of them. And in terms of, of the actors recording as well, I know some of them are, were very physical in terms of that. You know, you've talked a lot about Jane Fonda being someone who really kind of took that motion into the recording booth and, and carried that through. And that some of that's, it sounds like stemmed from, you know, having her meet the animators, seeing a lot of the graphics of what she was working with. And so how far along were the character conceptualizations or rough cuts of scenes that they could see what their characters were going to be doing on screen versus what they were just kind of conceptualizing and, and creating at that point when they were recording all of these scenes? Yeah, I would say for the most part, once we started recording, we definitely had probably three or four sequences of each character that the actors could see in 
in this session. So we could give them context. They could literally watch like what the scene was about. Not that we couldn't change something if we had an idea in the moment, but they definitely saw the storyboards cut to dialogue, to some scratch dialogue, so they could kind of see what their character was doing as we did it. Because the physicality to me is super important to sort of feel that physicality in pardon me, to feel that physicality in their voice performance is really important. The energy lifts way up. You know, it's, it's really taxing. It's very hard on actors. They have to like keep that, keep that voice, you know, keep their mouth near the microphone, but give you energy as if you're running, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. So showing them the sequences gave them a, like a muscle memory of what their character was doing. So we always, almost always showed sequences. And then, and then later on, as they got to know their character and we got to know their character, we didn't do that as much. And one of the things in, in animation is obviously it takes a really long time to create every individual scene, every individual moment and every detail of a character. And at the same time, it's still a filmmaking process. So there are elements where things are moving incredibly quickly within that process. And so I was really fascinated in what are the spaces where you feel like you had a little bit more time to make creative choices or to try different things? And what were some of the areas where it just naturally has to move very fast and you just have to make a lot of decisions on the fly creatively as a director? Yeah. So you're always making decisions on the fly. That's for sure. Cause like you said, you're looking, you know, one thing I have to say about animation, cause I come out of live action originally. Right. And when you look at an animated film, like the thing I think that sometimes I forget and, and others would probably forget is we have to create it all. Every single, you know, like the pen is created, like everything is built. You aren't going to a location and shooting it, right? So every single thing you see on screen, an artist has made that and built that. So sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So, uh, but I think for us, you know, what we try to do is, you know, inevitably some scenes are working better than others. So you just make room. So you don't necessarily make the movie in a linear fashion, you know, cause you, let's say you have three scenes in act two and they are working great. You put those into production because you know you need a little more work over here in act one so it's really a, a like a puzzle it's like a like a puzzle to make sure enough keeps getting me made and moving down the pipeline while you're making room for other scenes that you know you want to work on you know you want to get a different performance you know that story-wise the writing isn't quite there yet so you're just almost on a daily basis, shifting the production priorities to make room for creativity, right? Yeah. Well, I really, really appreciate you sharing all of these details and really enjoyed the experience of watching the film. So congratulations on everything, Peggy, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad you liked it. That's awesome.